0: turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan.
1: Welcome to the show. My guest today is Michelle Bishop. Dr. Bishop is a general dentist, founder of Ingram Hills Dental, and co-host of Tipsy Tooth Talk. She has been a general dentist for 22 years and has worked in the public health field at federally qualified health centers and now owns her own private practice. Today, she joins us on financial flossing. Michelle, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Sure thing. Now, you have a really interesting story. You started out as a dental assistant. And then you went back to dental school. Tell us a little bit about that process, that decision, and what your employer said to you.
2: Yes. So I had always wanted to be a dentist and um, quickly went to college and found out that the computer science degree that uh, my parents wanted me to have wasn't working out. And so I got a job as a dental assistant and my employer said to me one day, you know, you're on the wrong side of the chair. Like you are too talented to be over there. If you don't um, go back to school and start working towards getting into dental school, I'm going to fire you. And so he actually allowed me to take time off during the day and I would go take classes three days a week at the local university. So that's how I I transitioned from the suctioning side of the chair to the drilling side of the chair.
1: Now you said you always wanted to be a dentist. Why didn't you just go straight into dental school after finishing undergrad?
2: Well, I was a child that was graduating in the 80s, and that was back during the big AIDS, you know, blow up, and my parents were adamant against it. Um, because if you became it. a
1: dentist, you'd catch AIDS.
2: Correct. Yes. You know, my parents are older in their right. 90s, and so they were not for it. They also didn't, they didn't see a lot of women dentists at that point, and so they didn't think it was a field um, that I should try and get into.
1: Okay. And so... so. Your boss basically threatens to kick you out of the, out of, to fire you, to kick you <laughs> out if you don't start going to school. You go to school, you're still working, you end up mm-hmm. graduating dental school, and then right. you had, a um, you had an opportunity that, you know, made sense financially, but it kind of took a little bit different turn.
2: Right. My husband and I were newly married, and we thought, let's, let's go on an adventure. We don't have anything holding us back. And so there was the opportunity to move to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And work in the federal loan repayment process, you know, through working through federally qualified health centers. Um, and that's how we, we landed there with our story of we're only going to be here for five years max. And the five years turned to 10.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what kept you there longer than five?
2: Albuquerque is an amazing, an amazing city with some some fantastic people. And as we grew in the community and got to know people and develop friendships um, it was very hard to leave, and the only reason we left is um, to bring our our newborn daughter home to be around family. Otherwise, we'd still be there.
1: Now, you went to work there, but you kind of you became really good at what you were doing. You were connecting the community and the university. Talk about what kind of where you started at that facility and, and where it ended up.
2: So, when I started um, at the health center, I was I was just one of the many associate dentists there. Um, I think we had a total of five or six. And as the years went on, I was uh, named the clinical director of the facility. And then a couple of years before I left, the University of New Mexico um, began their residency program where they would bring newly graduated dentists in for further training. And as part of their training, they would send some of those dentists out into the community to do work. And so on average, we would have about two residents per semester that I would oversee and they would come in and shadow, but they would also do work and I would, you know, Kind of work along with them and help them develop, you know, more advanced skills.
1: So after ten years, you moved from Albuquerque uh, back to San Antonio, right. and you started practice from scratch. Is that right?
2: Well, actually, I came back and went to work for another health center that's locally owned, but same premise, um, working with the underserved, um, no insurance or anything needed. And then I began my search because then I knew that we were home; we weren't going anywhere. Um, and I really took my time to figure out where I wanted to be in the community and what practice was going to be a good fit for me before I just jumped in and bought the first thing.
1: So you bought a practice. You didn't start from scratch.
2: Correct. This practice has been here for over 47 years now. And the original doctor dentist was still here when I purchased it. The second dentist that had purchased it was still working here. So when I took it over, there were three of us in the practice.
1: Oh wow. Now you said that your patients typically are older in nature more more kind of um uh, retirees, senior citizens. Did yeah. you purposefully go after that demographic or did that, was that just kind of that just kind of happen?
2: You know, I think it kind of happened, but I'm glad that it did. Um that's definitely my niche, I feel like. You know, older When I was working for the federally qualified health centers in New Mexico, I did work with a lot of older Indian population. And I was just always so fascinated with their stories and just learning more about them and having the time and being slow with them to learn that and gain that trust. And I think that helps you relate to your patients better Um, with little kids and teenagers. They want that fast pace. And that's not really something that I love in my practice.
1: Well, that, I mean, that's kind of matching a style with a demographic, it sounds like. That's mm-hmm. pretty uh, pretty wise of you. Now, you've been named, I mean, San Antonio's a pretty big town. It's a good two, three million people, maybe, maybe more. Yeah. Uh, you've been named a top dentist in San Antonio a few times. Obviously, you're doing something right. How did you earn that reputation?
2: <laughs> Treating people right. Um, you know, the name of my practice is Ingram Hills Dental, and we have core values that are displayed on the uh, in huge letters in our waiting room and we line it up with Ingram Hills Dental. So the I is integrity driven. H is happy vibes. You will hear laughing constantly in my office. And D is devoted to smiles. And we just, I feel like if we always live those three core values, then it translates to our patients. And what I tell my staff every time is every patient's smile tells our story of compassion and exceptional dentistry. And I think it just translates when patients go out and talk to other friends of theirs. That's how we get referrals and word of mouth and that's how the word spreads. Yeah,
1: you know, it's really interesting you say that because so many times people talk about core values and mission and vision, and it can become vague for a lot of people. And for some people it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of empty rhetoric, but you see when you actually implement it in a real way, in a powerful way, the results that you're having in your practice from that.
2: Right. Right. For the longest time and myself included, we had this great little mission statement up on the wall that was long winded. And, you know, someone took the time to read it. Great. And, and we would read it in our staff meetings and say, yes, that's what we wanted to do. But it wasn't until we really honed in on what is it that we do every day consistently that makes a difference. And that's where we came up with those three core values. And everyone knows it. everybody lives it. Um, and I feel like our patients feel it when they're here in the office. So
1: shifting gears a little bit, what was the biggest challenge for you going from basically a government employee Mm -hmm. to a small business owner?
2: Wow. What they don't teach you in dental school, how to run a business, how to run a business. As I feel like the difference for dental owners versus any other type of small business is that you can't hire the people to do the business for you, right? You are the person producing. Um, and so not only do you have to produce the dentistry that nobody else can do, but you also have to run the business and so it's basically like doing two jobs full time with overhead and overtime
1: did did it take some time to make this adjustment, or did you pick up on it pretty quickly?
2: It took some time. I will say the first year was honestly a year of regret. Um Why did I do this? Why did I take this on? Uh, I'm not cut out for this. Um I wish I was still living my sweet you know, eight to five government job. But slowly, um, you begin to see the rewards of, I've never had a better boss than myself. And just seeing, you know, that you can make a difference in people's lives when you have control over what you can do.
1: Did you ever sit down and ask the guy you bought it from who was who's working there with you? Like, how did you do this? Or did you ever confide in him that you're over the overwhelm that you felt? No, I did not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I, I, you can't do that. <laughs> I, I know. I had to
1: ask, so. So, though. That's, like, that's
2: like crying uncle. You can't. Uh, yeah, you yes. just got to keep pushing forward.
1: So on a little bit different topic, you are also a fellow podcaster. Talk a little bit about your <laughs> podcast and where that came from and what, what it's about.
2: So we have a YouTube channel called Tipsy Tooth Talk. And uh, my dear friend, Dr. Carlin Bloom, was the brainchild of this. Um, during COVID, we were bored. Um, type A personalities don't like to sit around. And she thought it would be super fun to be the Hoda and Kathy Lee of dentistry. And so we love to always share a good bottle of wine or a cocktail. And uh, we thought, well, why don't we marry those two together? And so we have Tipsy to Talk. We film at least every other week. Um, and post those, and we make a cocktail, share the recipe um, with the audience, share some funny tidbits about it, and then dive into a dental topic, all ranges from, she's a pediatric dentist, so we talk about kid topics, I talk about general dentistry topics, orthodontics, gum disease, the whole gamut, and um, we just have some fun and laugh at ourselves, and we do it all in one take. And, so uh, it's on
1: YouTube, not like Spotify or iTunes, correct?
2: Correct, correct, it's on YouTube.
1: So do you like get dressed up and the makeup and all that stuff? Cause you know, you know, we're here on a podcast and I mean, <laughs> while we are doing video, most people are listening to us on audio. So we, that we can look like, we can look terrible. No, one would know. <laughs>
2: but, we, we wear our scrubs and we, we look like you would see us in the office. We don't do anything extra special. Again, it's just two good friends having fun and trying to, to take the stigma away from dentistry everybody thinks dentists are so uptight and and you can't have fun and dentistry's scary and i don't like to go and how many times do we hear i hate going to the dentist and we right. hear that on a daily basis yeah. and so it was just our way to uh, lighten up lighten up covid lighten up you know have some fun with ourselves and and try and make dentistry a little more uh like i said less scary to people
1: So going back to your government work, what did you learn in the government side of things that you probably wouldn't have learned if in dentistry had you only been in private practice your entire career? Because, I mean, government gets a bad rap. Everyone makes fun of government, says it's inefficient, it's not good, they don't do anything well. But I bet there's some things government does well that the private practice side could learn from.
2: I think the biggest thing that I learned was taking care of staff. And I can't say that I, I can speak for every government entity, but you know where I worked, um, they were very good about taking care of the team, right? The team was family and you can't function without the team. And in a dental office, you really can't function without your team being on board with you. And so learning to, as a boss, step back. So even as the clinical director there, being able to step back and go, let me look at it from their perspective. I think um, was very helpful transitioning into private practice. But I also think being a dental assistant and having been on the other side of the chair was very right. beneficial because I, what I say to my staff all the time is I'm never asking you to do something I haven't done, or I'm still not willing to do.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, so. Kind of a, another off off topic question here is, you know, and i like to ask this from someone who's been in the bit, who's been in the game a while like you for 22 years in the current market environment with dentists and the DSO world, what is your take on the DSO world? And some people hate them. Some people love them. Some people are indifferent. Some people are trying to sell to them right now. Some people will never sell to them. You know, what is, what's your take on the DSO world and what it's doing to the dental industry?
2: So, I find DSOs interesting. I don't, I don't love them and I don't hate them. I'm kind of, and it's not that I'm indifferent to them. I think what the DSO does so, so well is that they understand business. They understand yes. business better than any private practitioner ever will. And they went in with the mindset of business first. And that's where they excel. What they don't do well at is taking care of the patients, taking care of their staff. But I think there, you know, there's certainly if they could figure out how to marry those two, I think DSOs would be a bigger force than they already are. But I think what they do well is you can't argue with their success and you can't argue with it's because they have business minded people running the show. Well, their dentists are just there to produce.
1: Right. That's the challenge, because I know people who have sold the DSOs who would argue that the DSO ruined their name because the DSO keeps the same name and they didn't do things the same way. Um, You know, at the same time, you know, to your point about understanding business, you know, in in my experience working with dentists is there's, and I've said this numerous times, there's two extremes. You have someone who owns a job. It's a really good job. and earns a good income. And then you have someone who's a business owner who happens to be a dentist and they have an exorbitant income. And they have a tremendous freedom and flexibility, and you know, not that one is better than the other. Uh, and some people are geared, wired for one way over the other, or geared for one way over the other. But I think if if you know if the dentist can, if a private practice dentist can learn the business skills, then mm-hmm. I don't think they have to sell to the DSL. Some of some people, right, just don't have a, feel like they don't have a choice,
2: right. And and I think. I think there's so many courses these days. I'm actually getting ready to attend one again this weekend. That's strictly about small business. I'm not going to learn about dental stuff. I'm going to learn how to grow my business, how to work on my business. Um, And I think the problem is that as dental practitioners in school, we are so ingrained that you must, you know, every course you take should be on how to improve your skills, your skills, your skills, but nobody talks about your business skills. And we're always so ready to jump in and pay money to take a course to improve our hands, but we're not ready to jump in and take a course to improve our minds on how to run the business. Well, and I think if more more private practice practitioners could do that um i think they'd see a turnaround in their practice.
1: Well, it's it's a great point because like you said earlier, you don't learn anything in dental school except the cl- the clinical part. You don't learn right. anything about managing employees, you don't learn anything about mm-hmm. running a business and i've met people who tried to sell their practice just because they hated managing employees so much. Right. And you know, the return on investment of learning to manage employees is substantial. And right. it's like if you could if you could crack that code, you know, there's a lot of uh Financial opportunity in that scenario and and there's a ton of consultants out there who help some of them are good, some of them are average some of them are are not so good but but I think your point is you know a dollar invested in yourself or in your business is is arguably the highest rate of return you're going to get
2: absolutely and you and you speak about consultants i I have found that when I use a consultant just to tweak things here and there the you know the change that we see for the positive is, is always so much better. It's We get so tunnel-visioned because we're working it every day, all day, yeah. and our staff is working it, and you get that third party that comes in that doesn't have, you know, a vested interest one way or the other, and they can give you some objective advice. It's really beneficial.
1: Yeah, getting fresh eyes who can take the bias yeah. away from it, and you're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or you might be a little offended because you're like, oh, this is my idea, like well, you know, there's a better way of doing it, this and that, and so uh, I think that's a really that's a really good point. And kind of along those lines, as something you were saying a minute ago, have you found the challenge of working in your practice versus working on your practice? Do you have you found that to be a challenge? Obviously, your chair side, you're in your practice. If, let's suppose you work for you're, You see patients four days a week. And Friday is more administrative day. Friday, you're working on your practice. Have you found that to be a challenge, that tension of in versus on? Because you're obviously producing, but ultimately working on your practice long-term is more profitable for you. Have you, have you found that to be a challenge?
2: A huge challenge. The dentistry is exhausting on the mind and the body. And so on that day off, when I should be in front of my computer, you know, pounding through reports or finishing up charts or, or, you know, forecasting for the next, you know, quarter. Um, I don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, I simply just don't want to do it. I just want to take some time. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> take some time to decompress or, you know, go to my child's school at lunchtime or, you know, there's just so many other things that pull us because we've already worked a full week, you know, a, a normal CEO, of their business would work that 40 week, 40 hour week and walk away or the 32 hours, whatever, and, and walk away. Well, we've already worked by producing and now we have to work even more to work on it. Um, and it's a huge challenge to, to keep your mind in the game.
1: Now, have you found success managing that challenge?
2: I have. I try very hard to make sure that at least the first and the last Friday of the month are strictly devoted to working on the business so that I don't have, you know, if I'm catching things at the beginning of the month, I'm catching things before the books close the end of the month. Um, And I try not to schedule anything um, on those days. And the other two give me leeway to schedule, you know, other things, family, stuff like that.
1: Do you have associates?
2: I do not. So I'm a, a sole practitioner.
1: So have you have you ever considered or what's the challenge or, or the thought process of bringing on an associate versus not bringing on an associate? Like, is that something that you're like, I don't want to bring on an associate. I want to do it all myself. Or is like, oh, I'd love to bring on an associate, but find the right fits a challenge. What's the dynamic there?
2: Yes, I would love to bring on an associate. I would love to bring on an associate. Um, the challenge is finding someone um, that's, just like you said, that's like-minded. The other challenge is you've got to, you almost have to work double time when you bring on an associate because you not only need to get the associate up to speed and make sure that they're in the same diagnosing realm as you are, that, you know, you've, you, you're compatible and you're equilibrated in your treatment, uh, but you also have to get the patients on board because once you've been their primary dentist, they don't want to see somebody else and they get really upset if you're out of the office. And so if you bring an associate on, great, that in theory should afford you time away from the office. Um, but really what it does for the first you know, six months to a year is you've got to be there extra so that you can not only oversee the associate, not that they're an it, but just getting them up to speed with how you do things, um, but also building the trust in the patients that you trust the associate to see them. Sounds
1: like you've either had an associate in the past, or you've had a good friend who's had an associate, and there were some <laughs> challenges. Which one was it?
2: I was actually an associate at one point, point. Um, and I've had a friend. I've had a friend who's gone through many.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I've got clients who've gone through many, but when they find a good one, it's great. And but I've also found heard that the market right now, if for associates, is about like the market for used cars or houses right now. That uh, it's a it's it's a bidding war.
2: It is. it is. It's a bidding war with with any type of dental staff, whether it be front office or hygienist or assistant. Really, at this point in the game, you're having to steal from another office if you want someone who you know has the skills. Oh, that's it's kind of
1: disappointing. I guess if, you, I mean, you don't want to steal from a friend or a co uh, someone in your right. and you, unless you just don't like them. Then you're like, I don't care. Then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and I don't mean going out and poaching them, but you know, the only people applying are people from other um, right. other offices at this point. We don't seem to have that fresh influx graduating from dental assisting schools or even hygiene schools. I'm not sure. I don't know where they're all at, but I wish they wish they would come out and play. Well,
1: and the, the challenge is if, you know, if, uh, if someone works for John Doe Dennis and they make X and they're coming to you because you're paying them X plus two, as soon as someone offers them X plus four, they're gone. Exactly. And that's exactly. not what you want because then you have to, you got to retrain somebody and hire somebody. It's it's a tremendous challenge.
2: It is. It is. It messes, you know, and patients like to see the same faces. They That's part of the trust factor is they want to see those same people and they want to build that rapport with the assistant and the hygienist just as much as they want to with the dentist.
1: Right. So as we wrap up here, um, what advice would you give to a brand new dental school grad?
2: I would say... Read a lot of business books, get yourself immersed in some type of mastermind or study group that is small business owners that are, that are diverse. You don't want to surround yourself with just dentists, find other people that you admire and hope to be like, and start learning from them now. And then, you know, when you begin to look for a practice, you know, think about what, how you would like to practice 10 years from now. And see if those values align with the individual that you're considering either associating with or buying out. Because more than likely, those values are already ingrained in that practice. And it's going to be very hard for you to go in and change them if that's not what you align with.
1: That's really good wisdom right there. Um, Last question. I'm a big reader. Um, Are you a reader? If you are, what books do you recommend?
2: I am a reader. And I'm actually, I have it right here on my desk. I'm actually finishing up um, Profit First.
1: Oh, profit verse for Dennis. Okay, nice.
2: Um, yeah. And gosh, put me on the spot there. Aside from that one, um, I love and I can't think of the titles of the books at the moment. Um, but Greg Reed, I feel like is a phenomenal author about business and self-awareness and self-improvement. Sharon Lecter, um, you know, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Um, you know, there's just, they're just all great books that help you grow um, as a business owner.
1: I just recommended Cashflow Quadrant to somebody. So just oh, like two yeah. hours ago. So and I think that's a great one. So, well, Michelle, I, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a, an absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Absolutely. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing
1: Podcast with Ross Brandon. Tune in next week for our next episode.
0: This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit
3: rossbrannan.com. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664 Coolidge Court, Expiration April 2023.
4: This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinion stated are their own. External sites and material are provided for your convenience in locating related information and services. Guardian and its subsidiaries, agents, and employees expressly disclaim any responsibility for and do not maintain, control, recommend, or endorse third-party sites, organizations, products, or services, and make no representation as to the completeness, suitability, or quality thereof. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311-850-562-9075. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032, California Insurance License Number 0L10073, 2022-135912, expiration 0324.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.